Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, where we will be sharing some of the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. We will also interview subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download your copy of the 65 investment terms you must know to reach your financial goals in the shortest time possible. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. So now on to the episode. Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Four Stars uh, Today's Market Explained podcast. So today we have an interview with a very interesting gentleman I met a number of years ago, uh, Mike Terwilliger. Mike, welcome to the Four Star Today's Market Explained podcast. Brian, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So Mike is, uh, let's just say Mike is an, I would consider Mike to be an expert in the credit markets and he has lots of experience in in, uh, the financial markets in general and the credit markets specifically. Uh, Mike is uh, with BC Partners in New York City and prior to BC Partners, he spent four years with Shankman Capital reviewing uh, retail food and beverage credit and, and the debt side of that business. Uh, Mike's the portfolio manager of the Alternative Credit Income Fund, which uh, many investors are involved in and in charge with the day-to-day management of that fund. So, you know, with all your experience, uh, Mike, in the credit markets, you've done this for at least a couple of decades, I believe. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what's going on in the credit world and, and why this is an important discussion today. Yeah, no, absolutely, Brian. So, I mean, before we get into credit in particular, let's let's just talk a little bit about the market backdrop broadly, and then we can get into to credit as well. Look, as you noted, I've been at this for twenty plus years, and as you and I had alluded to earlier in our conversation, I would argue that right now is as challenging of a time in the market broadly as I have seen in my career. I mean, I would argue that investors sort of face almost a a number of unappealing options given the sort of risks in the marketplace right now. So, you know, what is center stage from a risk standpoint? And this is probably one that investors are aware of in their day-to-day lives. You know, people are dealing with inflationary risk right now that is having profound impact on the marketplace broadly. So uh, I think that's taking center stage for most investors. Over on the equity side, Look, we are dealing with what events in Europe right now that I would say are probably among the most serious geopolitical degrees of uncertainty that we have seen in generations. You go back to the Cuban Missile Crisis for the last time you've seen something uh, sort of an analogous type of situation. Um, Another risk in the marketplace right now, the Fed is being very crystal clear and very hawkish in their intentions of rising rates. When you put that all together, Look, the equity markets continue to be at all-time highs, making this a, a very challenging time and an uncertain market backdrop to put money to work within equities. Two, investors can't just try to sidestep some of the uncertainty by sitting in cash because inflationary pressures are eroding the value of their dollar every single day. And then to my point on it, on fixed income and credit broadly, look, these inflationary pressures are putting a lot of pressure on traditional fixed income. So I think this is an investment backdrop that is as challenging as I have seen and one that sort of demands investors look for alternative places to find income and then alternative places to find yield. Yes. So, Mike, you know, we talk to investors every day and, you know, some some of the old timers might remember when 
interest rates were in the high teens in the yeah. early 80s, 70s. And, and uh, I remember getting a 20% money market in 1980. Of course, that savings alone did fail. Um, but nonetheless, but, but back then, inflation was about what it is now. But we had a positive return even with that. But now we got zero. And you know, not very little return. Cash is paying nothing. So investors are losing ground every year, aren't they? So let me provide a pretty good example of what's going on within the fixed income market right now. So the U.S. high yield corporate credit market, which is the high yield or the, the you know, within the continuum, the more yieldy part of the corporate credit market, the U.S. high yield market is off 7% already this year, 7%. And a lot of that is due to inflationary concerns and interest rate concerns. Even with the rep repricing, the yield on the U.S. high yield index today sits only at around 6.2%. CPI, which is the measure of inflation for the month of February, came in at 7.9%. So even with the preposterous repricing of U.S. high yield, again, down greater than 7%, generating a yield of 6, you are still earning a negative real yield in U.S. corporate bonds. That is an indication in this kind of market backdrop with high inflation, rising interest rates, traditional fixed income products like mutual funds and ETFs that had worked for the previous 20, 30 years just aren't going to work on a go forward basis. Investors need to expand their investment horizons to start looking for alternative products like the alternative credit income fund. It's very interesting. Well, tell us a little bit about the fund and yep. you know, like the category and how it all works. Yep. So from a 50,000 foot perspective, our objective is we launched this fund in October of 2015 with one very straightforward goal, try to generate above market yields and above market returns. And I would argue that our long-term track record suggests we have delivered just that. So our return since October 15 has generated an annualized return of eight and a half percent. That eight and a half percent beats any relevant fixed income benchmark by more than 300 basis points. So I would argue that we have demonstrated that we can deliver on our goal of delivering above market yields and above market returns. As far as the asset class that we invest in, our core asset class is corporate lending, lending to small and medium-sized businesses. And within the BC Partners family, we are much more focused on doing directly originated private deals. That part of the marketplace offers yields that are just simply significantly higher than you're going to get in the broadly liquid market that you're going to get in a traditional mutual fund or a traditional ETF. So our core asset class is all things corporate credit. We go, we buy corporate bonds, corporate loans, public, private, BDCs, fund, and fund stakes, wherever we can find the best risk-adjusted return. Mm -hmm. So uh, corporate credit, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Are, they like, are they like bonds or are they like CDs? So think of it as us making loans to businesses where we are going to be able to put a loan or a lien on their assets. So if we make a loan to, let's say, a widget manufacturer, you know, that widget manufacturer probably has a mortgage on their plant. But mm -hmm. what we will do is we will put a lien on their actual manufacturing equipment and all the other assets of the business, which effectively gives us control of that widget manufacturing business. Right. What I love about loans is they are contractual legal obligations. That widget manufacturer has to pay me every red cent of my interest 
and every red cent of my principal and pay me back at par or at 100%, or I get to take the keys to their widget manufacturing plant. That is an incredibly important metric that helps us protect your investors' hard-earned principal. Powerful. So, so it's not really, obviously, it's not like bank deposits. It's not like bonds. No. Um, but are these, are these credits decent credits? They are very decent. I mean, these are great businesses, but let me give you a, a, another way to think of it. You know, individual investors are going to have a mortgage. You know, it's a mortgage is a similar concept. It's going to be a lien on your house. It's going to be a lien on all of your assets. We put a lien on that corporation's assets in the same way that a mortgage. You have to pay your mortgage. You have to pay your mortgage off. Those businesses have to pay us our interest and they have to pay us our principal. And what we specialize is in lending to small and medium-sized businesses. So, you know, as an example, if you if you loan to a business that you've maybe heard of, like a McDonald's or an IBM, the yield's going to be around 3%. But if you loan to some of the suppliers, some of the small and medium-sized businesses, which are frankly the cornerstone of the U.S. economy, we make loans to those smaller businesses. That's where we're able to get those high single-digit type returns, which are just significantly greater than you're getting in the liquid marketplace. And look, I'll, I'll provide you a tangible example of something we've added to the, to the fund recently. So we recently lent money to a regional lottery-related business in Georgia known as Lucky Bucks. They came to VC Partners looking for expansion capital for them to be able to make acquisitions. They're a dominant provider in a strictly regulatory protected marketplace. This is a lottery-related business. This is going to have very strict government enforcement. It's not as though you or I or any other player could just go into that marketplace. The yield on the loan that we made is 12.5% yield. We have fees on the front end. We expect this business will be sold within the next two to three years. Frankly, I'll be shocked if it makes three years because there's such demand to own this business. We're going to get some takeout premium as well. So we think our low case return is about a 15% IRR. Again, in a world with significant economic uncertainty, in a world with significant inflation that is sort of frankly traumatizing traditional fixed income, a 15% return is an incredible return profile. So this is not a small business by any stretch of the imagination. They do cash flow or EBITDA of around 100 million, but that is small relative to say the Boeings, McDonald's, IBMs, which is more the type of bond that you're gonna find in a traditional investment grade bond fund. It's just a demonstration of how you can pick up tremendous yield and tremendous income by going into directly originated private deals. So it's private deals. They're smaller than big corporations. So, so the, so the yield is a premium yield over like a Boeing bond or a bond, yep. right? So I guess there would be three things that I would highlight that the directly originated private deals are going to provide it. And look, Brian, you nailed the, probably the first most important one the yield and return potential is going to be higher. But two, they're also going to have better mechanism, mechanisms in place to help us protect your investors' hard-earned principal. We are going to do, with every one of these deals, a full slate of covenant protections. These are rules, these are the rules of the road that we make to the borrower that allow us to step in if that loan isn't going as planned, which again is going to help us protect your principal. If you're right. buying a typical loan fund, you're not going to get covenants. You aren't going to get those investor protections. So yield and investor protections are two of the benefits. The third benefit I would highlight is they're going to be lower volatility. 
these businesses are going to be marked more based upon the fundamentals of the business, less so just upon the whims of the marketplace. So they're not going to be up and down all over the place just because the market's rolling over because of um, some sudden change in market sentiment. So those are three very important benefits that these private directly originated deals provide to you and your investors. So the other question that I had before was, I think you mostly answered it, is what do they do with the money? Well, they're engaging yep. all businesses. And so, so they're generating a better return than they're giving us, obviously, uh, because that's then that they borrow money at this, these rates. So that's great. That's really, so, that's really, yeah, it's a perfect example. Like the businesses are going to come into us for a number of different reasons, but if you're right. a lucky box, maybe 12 and a half percent at first, that strikes you as being, you know, an expensive piece of paper. But if we can, lend them money at 12 and a half percent, which they can then go out and make acquisitions at multiples of, uh, let's say their multiples are around three and a half to four times to help support a business that is valued in the marketplace at least 10 times, our capital is arguably cheap to them. So mm -hmm. it is a way for everyone to win. We as the lender and our clients benefit from the higher yields. The individual investors certainly benefit by being able to generate income that is much higher than they would get in traditional products. And the companies benefit in that they can use that capital to help grow. Look, this is a very much of a symbiotic transaction. Everyone wins on these types of deals. Nice. So in a, in a fund like this, um, you have a number of different holdings. Like how many different holdings might you have in the alternative? So our total fund positions is around 55 positions right now which at okay. first that might strike you as being relatively concentrated. But in reality, if you look at our underlying holdings, there are literally thousands of bonds and loads within there. So one of the things we do within our portfolio is we make investments in other credit funds. And what that does for our investors is, one, it gives our investors access to all the best credit managers and all the best credit strategies. Mm -hmm. Two, it provides us a diversified pipeline of deals but three, perhaps most importantly, whenever we make an allocation to a private fund, we are getting a slice of that broadly diversified portfolio and adding it into our broadly diversified portfolio as well, adding incremental layers of diversification that helps limit credit risk. So if you look at the look through the assets, we're talking about thousands of loans. That is a vital element of diversification. Very interesting. Um, do you have an example of a loan that didn't work? Yes, absolutely, Brian. Um, great question. So we've been around from a fund standpoint nearly six and a half years. Again, we started in October of 2015. We have had three defaults in the six and a half years we've existed. Only one of them has been a significant money loser. And I'll just do a, a quick overview on, on the, the three of them. Uh, in 2018, we bought a bonds for a company known as Monintronics, which was an alarm monitoring company. Um, in short, we believed that that business was going to benefit from their licensing agreement with Brinks Home Security. We thought they were also going to benefit from their relationship with Google Nest. Ultimately, those two bullish outcomes didn't come to pass and the company ultimately restructured. We elected to leave our, we, we elected to take our equity and then leave the position behind. That was probably about a 40% recovery, 40 cents on the dollar recovery. Um, and it was, but it was only a 1% position in the fund, which demonstrated our lack of conviction in the name. Uh, the second one is Whiting Petroleum. Whiting Petroleum sought bankruptcy protection in the midst of the COVID panic. We received reorg equity. 
our investors have realized an above par recovery on that so-called so restructuring because we receive post-reorg equity and the company has benefited greatly under the uh, increasingly um, inflationary environment for energy prices. And they have also engaged in M&A. The last position was Chuck E. Cheese. Look, I love Chuck E. Cheese and was one of my favorite companies going into bankruptcy, but you'd be hard pressed to find a business that was more negatively impacted by COVID than, uh, than Chuck E. Cheese. Um, video games and pizza parlors were certainly closed in the midst of lockdown. As a part of that restructuring, we received both warrants and equity. We anticipate that we will continue to generate a significant recovery on that as that company continues to benefit from reopening. So yeah. in short, again, that's a long-winded answer. In short, we've had just three defaults in six and a half years, which is wildly better than the benchmark. And within those three defaults, only one of them was a meaningful loss of principal. And even that meaningful loss of principal was small, given that we had it in very small size. So that yeah. may have been more of an answer than you were seeking, but nevertheless, that is sort of the extended version of the answer. Well, I was thinking it must have had something to do with those plastic weird animals they have walking around. <laughs> yeah, those those uh, those plastic weird animals didn't fare too well in COVID, needless to say. Apparently not. So well, that let's wasn't hope. exactly somewhere people could take their kids in 2020. Let's hope they sell their sell more pizza and get back on track, right? Yeah, but, uh, they very much are. I mean, it all laughing aside, the business has ret returned yeah. pretty significantly, with the exception of the parts of the country that still have had lockdown protocols. They have lagged, but everywhere else, they they are humming. Yeah, well, and and it's good to hear. Um, no one, you know, no investment is perfect. Yeah, uh, you know, some stocks go down too. And so it's more matters how you handle adversity uh, than whether you've had it, because everyone has it. You know, things don't work. Sometimes housing markets crash. We went through that yep. uh, a decade ago and stock markets crash and bonds struggle at times. So the key is how you handle it. It's not. Yeah. I mean, look, happening. Brian, you could not have nailed it any better than that. Nobody bats a thousand. And it's not fair to ask any manager to bat a thousand. I mean, even right. Warren Buffett have had some footfalls over the years. So what you have to do is make sure that you structured your portfolio with significant diversification to minimize the impact of them. And second of all, as we will get into having a liquidity or a semi a quarterly liquidity vehicle or a semi-liquid vehicle puts you in a position to help you hold on to position through periods of tough times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, you know, from the investor perspective, we work with investors every day and they have money in stocks, they own real estate, their home and other things. And then they have money in, in safe bucket, I call it. It's CDs, bonds, bond funds, things like that. Um, so how would we use a credit fund like this? It would be, it would replace some of the bonds perhaps, yep. maybe a certain percentage of it. So here's the way I would think about our characterization or our classification of the fund. So from a very high level, in a rising rate environment, in a low yield environment, in a broadly inflationary environment, traditional fixed income mutual funds, holding corporate bonds, muni bonds, sovereign bonds, or ETFs holding those same type of assets are going to struggle significantly. And I think we've already seen that in the first quarter of 2022 with things such as the Barclays Ag, which is a very widely watched benchmark for fixed income off materially. So we do not think of ourselves as an alt per se. We think of ourselves as a replacement for core fixed income. 
we are a replacement for core. So we think of ourselves as not a one to two percent allocation. Our core investors use this from 10 to 15 percent replacing mm-hmm. for the ETFs and mutual funds that have just not worked. So, so if we don't look for other opportunities and we just say, let's just stick with a basic bond fund and, and rates rise over the next few years, yeah. I mean, maybe gets better. Are investors going to make any money in bonds? I mean, is the bond market basically dead for a period of time? So let me sort of give a, a long-winded answer on that. So forgive me in advance. So if you were to ask me right what ahead. the biggest challenges within mutual funds within fixed income they are right. segmented. They are stuck in one lane. They are either U.S. bond funds or U.S. floating rate funds. Well, the challenge with that is they don't work in every market backdrop. They just simply don't work. I mean, it's sort of like the, the famous adage of all you have a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, in a rising interest rate environment, fixed coupon bond funds are just going to lose because as interest rates go up, the value of those fixed coupons goes lower and lower and lower. So. What we do within the Alternative Credit Income Fund is we are always shifting the mix of our assets to account for the ever-changing interest rate backdrops. And I'll tell you, I'll provide you a tangible example of this. So starting in the summer of 2020, we started talking to our clients about our concerns about post-COVID inflationary pressures. And like, frankly, Brian, this was well before it became even business press news, let alone front page news like it is today. So because of our concerns about inflation, starting in the summer of 2020, we started allocating on our portfolio about 90% floaty, 10% fixed until to today, fast forward to today, we're about 70% floating rate. So that means as interest rates go up, our fund will generate incremental interest income. So as rates go up, our loans are going to pay us incremental additional interest which is going to help protect the value of your investors dollars that is vital if you're in a bond fund there is no mechanism in which to combat a rising rate environment what they can do is they can try to shorten the tenor of bonds that they own but they can't again they can't sort of change the tenor of the asset at the end of the day it's a fixed coupon asset that's just going to lose in a rising rate environment instead what we do with our fund is we shift between fixed and floating to match the interest rate environment. So we could do a call like this two quarters from now or two years from now, we may shift from floating into fixed because when you go into an interest rate cutting environment, you don't wanna be in floating, you wanna be in fixed to be able to lock in those coupons. So a limitation of traditional funds is they can't tilt between fixed and floating and they can't shift between asset classes. We go across the entire marketplace to find the best available opportunity the vast majority of funds do not have that capacity. Right. Well, you know, Mike, this is this is really music to my ears because we work with a lot of investors who've built a hard-earned uh, portfolio of assets from you know 20, 30, 40 years of work. They're ready to retire. And we talk in terms of returns for the investor. And the stock market's going to do what it's going to do, and it'll go up and it'll go down, and generally you can get good returns. But you know. There's been a lot of discussion about how returns going forward aren't going to be as good, maybe in the next decade, as they were in the last decade or the decade before. And it's our decided view that it's not because of the stock market, it's probably because of the safe bucket. Um, we used to get 5% in a money market. We could get 6 or 7% in a corporate bond. Now all those numbers are 
one half of a percent, maybe one percent, maybe one and a half, 2.6 on a 10 year treasury. Um, if people do less returns in their portfolio in the next decade, it's not because of the stocks, it's because of the safe bucket, the bond area. Yeah, Brian, I, I couldn't agree more. I would argue that one of the biggest challenges within this marketplace broadly is going to be their fixed income bucket. And the vast majority of investors, frankly, don't have the capacity, the time, the wherewithal, nor do they have historically the access to these type of private deals. If you're in a typical 60-40 and suddenly your fixed income is yielding nothing, that's going to be a massive drag on your portfolio performance. If we're able to deliver you, and, um, and I think right now on our iShare, our, so we pay 7% on a $10 NAV. So our yield is going to go up based upon the NAV of the fund. We have delivered 17 and a half cents of income to our investors every single quarter since launch. We have never trimmed our distribution. We have never even contemplated cutting it. So today mm -hmm. that yields is sitting in the mid sixes. We have also delivered historically around one to 200 basis points of capital appreciation on top of that by being a small and nimble fund, by shifting across the entire universe to find the best opportunities, by being able to buy these private deals like the Lucky Bucks that provide you those teens type of returns. You put that together, that is going to have a meaningful impact on an individual's portfolio. That high single digit type of return versus, you know, a 2% for treasuries, compounded over time, that is a meaningful, meaningful impact on an investor's portfolio. It is. Well, you know, Mike, one of the things I wanted to point out too, and they we're talking all about credit, you know, these are subjects that you don't hear of very often on CNBC or Fox Business. But most investors don't realize that, you know, there's lots of stocks out there, lots of equity. We talk a lot about it. But the credit markets from U.S. treasuries, corporates, private debt is significantly larger than the stock market. There are more debt instruments in the world by a factor of almost 10, right, yep. Mike? Something like exactly that right. on, yep. on how you count it. So, And, and we've always had the view that the, the, the nuanced world of the credit industry and the bond market um, forces the people in that market to be really, really smart people. And so we find that the most brilliant minds on the street are not the stock people necessarily, or the Bitcoin people, but the, the bond people, people that understand credit. Uh, so to learn this market is a real, um, just a, a real skill. And to, to, to know what you know, Mike, is really an important thing to know. Why, thank you. I mean, I, I would echo your view that one of the challenges within fixed income is, you're right, it's not something that Jim Cramer talks about on smart money. It, do, it doesn't attract the headlines. It doesn't get the same degree of, intention, of attention as the equity market, but it is a huge marketplace with a tremendous amount of opportunity in it. And if investors are able to access alternative products such as our own and being able to access some of these opportunities that frankly were very hard to retail investors to access until funds such as ours were created. It is a huge opportunity for investors, but it's a part of the marketplace that people have less familiarity. Therein lies the opportunity. Yes. Now, Mike, the only other thing I was gonna ask you about regarding these opportunities is the liquidity. And I know yep. there are some liquidity issues, but let's talk, let's talk that through. How does that work? Okay, so this is a fundamental tenant of the fund and is a fundamental element of how frankly we generate above market returns. So let me go through this as, as sort of clearly as I can. We are structured as what is known as an interval fund. So 
we're a mutual fund like any other mutual fund that your clients have used in their portfolio their whole life. So we have uh, a daily NAV. We have a ticker you can put into your iPhone and check our price every night. You can go to our website and know exactly what we own. So there's no sort of black box dynamic. The only difference is, unlike a traditional mutual fund that you can buy and sell on a daily basis, you can buy our fund daily, but we will tender for assets or we will have quarterly liquidity once a quarter. Once a quarter, we will tender for 5% of our total assets under management. So again, it's not 5% of your client's assets, it's 5% of the fund's total assets, which means whenever we have a period where we get less than 5% redemptions, your clients can vote with their feet and get every last cent out every 90 days. So again, once a quarter, we will tender for 5% of our assets. Now, right. that's a trade-off, right? Your clients are going from daily liquidity to 90-day liquidity. But I would argue that the benefits far outweigh the downside, and they're vitally important to, I think, for investors being able to generate yield in a low-yield environment. One benefit is we can put directly originated deals into our fund. If you're in a daily liquid vehicle, you couldn't put untraded vehicles or unliquid assets into that vehicle. That would be an inappropriate risk. But because we have 90-day liquidity, we can put deals like Lucky Bucks that are untraded into the fund. The other important benefit, it helps us protect your investor's principal. And how does that work? So from a 50,000 foot perspective, and we all lived through this with, with COVID, what do investors do during a period of market volatility? Well, mm -hmm. unfortunately, as we saw in COVID and we've seen in episodes over the years, during periods of market panic, people panic. And when they panic, they yes. will sell. I mean, they will do anything they can to get out of the marketplace. They will just sell sometimes with absolute impunity just to get out. Well, the challenge is, again, going back to our conversation on Lucky Bucks and, our, and thinking about corporate loans, corporate loans and corporate bonds are contractual legal obligations, right? So again, if I make a loan to somebody, if they don't pay me all of my interest and pay me all of my money back, I get to take the, their widget manufacturing plant, right? Again, so that, that's, that's why bonds and loans are interesting. The challenge is if you own bonds and loans in a mutual fund and that mutual fund is forced to sell assets during a period of market dislocation to meet redemptions, that bond or loan is gonna be sold out of the fund. That's gonna represent a loss of principal for you and your investors. That bond or loan that is sold out during a period of market panic, it's gonna go back to par, but it's gonna mm -hmm. go back to par not for you and your investors, it's gonna go back mm -hmm. to par for whoever it was sold to during the panic. Right. Right. So that's where 90-day liquidity is so important. During periods of market turmoil, we are not forced to be a seller. Because we are not being stampeded by redemptions in the middle of a downturn, we're in a position to protect your investors' dollars. And we saw this during COVID. Despite the massive disruption in the credit markets and frankly, all markets during COVID, we did not sell a single bond. We did not sell a single loan. We didn't sell a single BDC. We sold nothing to meet redemptions. Instead, we used our leverage line and made our redemptions on credit. We put it on our leverage line so that we did not have to sell our assets during a temporary period of market volatility. That is a vital dynamic. 
Yes. And we all know people do panic. We've seen yep. it in 2020. The market was down, stock market down 35% in seven weeks. And yeah. you know, did, did every sale make sense? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Ultimately, what we have seen is that periods of market panic do not last for a significant amount of time. But if you're in a vehicle that has daily liquidity, if you were amidst that COVID downturn, which again, for periods of weeks there, it felt like the world was spinning off its axis. There was a lot of known unknowns and people were selling right. with just impunity. Look, people could have destroyed a significant amount of their wealth had they sold into the panic. That's yes. where that 90-day liquidity comes into place. I think of it almost as a behavioral finance vehicle. It limits right. the amount of damage. It limits the amount of pain. It limits the amount of sort of self-inflicted harm that an individual can do to themselves during a 90-day, during a period of market panic. That 90-day window provides a period of time for cooler heads to prevail. And everyone was locked in their basement. So just not, not good decisions are made down there. No, not good decisions. But nevertheless, let me think about the other value add. So again, we can put private deals in. We right. can help protect your principal by not selling. But it also puts us in a position to buy when everyone else is selling. So, Brian, as you know, we're a 40 vehicle. We could use leverage up to 33% right. on this fund. Sitting here today, we have zero leverage on this fund. We know that we never know when the next downturn happens. But we know that when it does, we want to have all of our dry powder available to this, to us. Look, and sitting in the basement in the midst of COVID, we were able to use our leverage line. We were buying things at fire sale prices. We were buying bonds and loans down, you know, down 20 points in a number of hours. And we rode that wave right back up. And that's part of the way that we have generated that eight and a half percent return compounded over nearly six and a half years. We have been in a position to take advantage of market panics because of our quarterly liquidity, because we don't use running leverage on this fund. That is a tremendous opportunity to benefit your clients. Yes. Well, and, and, and investors have been forced to look at this area now when it was easy and you could get 5% yield and you could live on that. You didn't need to do different things. Although I, I will say they're uh, now four star has, I believe, a dozen different credit programs on our platform and some have a minimum one year hold and then a quarterly liquidity. A couple go two years and then quarterly. Uh, this fund, the alternative income fund is quarterly every quarter. Yeah. Right? So and importantly you, quarterly every every quarter and we can never shut it off, which I think is absolutely vital. So right. we can never say, hey, we're not making liquidity available this quarter. I think that is incredibly important psychologically for investors. Even in the hard times, they will get some capital back if, they, if we are forced. Some to capital. Right. Well, I think it's something we all have to look at. Every investor, of course, has to make decisions that are appropriate for them with their financial advisors. So let me offer that caveat here as well. But this is an area that we wanted to highlight. And, and Mike, you're a great ambassador uh, for the corporate credit world. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you with us today here on the Four Star Today's Market Explained podcast. Brian, again, the pleasure is entirely mine. I, I really do take a sincere passion in this part of the marketplace. I'm ultimately doing my best to try to help retail investors get access to, I mean, really a type of credit product that formerly was only available to high net worth and institutional investors. 
I think we have created a solution to allow retail investors to get access to that part of the marketplace as well. Truly, I, I know the corporate credit's been around forever, but it was million dollar minimums and, yeah. and even higher in some cases. So now we're bringing, uh, you know, the Wall Street, the bond market Wall Street to Main Street uh, with, with uh, programs like yours and the others. Um, and, you know, we're all learning new things, right, as life goes on. We never really had to deal with this before. We didn't have 0% interest rates, you know, years ago. And for most of the investor world that's alive today, we didn't have 0% interest rates. So now we have to think about these things and that's okay. We can learn new things as well. Yes, I think the market has unfortunately changed pretty dramatically as it relates to interest rate, but that is forcing investors to think about their portfolio differently. In exchange for 90 day liquidity, I would argue that investors are getting a significant benefit in yield and total return that, again, those traditional products, as you highlighted, just aren't working anymore, and they're not going to work. They're going to continue to get, uh, you know, I would say probably uh, um, a polite way to put it is they are going to struggle in an environment of rising rates and rising inflation. Yes. And with any luck, we're in that environment for a while. That's actually good for the economy over time. But in the short run for your income portfolio, it could, it could be painful. So yep. anyway, thank, thank you, Mike, for being with us. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, and any investor that's interested in learning more about these credit programs, you can call your four-star financial advisor. You can call me personally if you'd like, and we'll tell you more about it and see if that's the right thing for you. Um, we uh, will be back very soon with another episode and another very smart guy like Mark Tur- uh, Mike Terwilliger. And uh, thank you, everybody, for being with us here on the Four Star Podcast, Today's Market Explained. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns in the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download your copy of the 65 investment terms you must know to reach your financial goals in the shortest possible time. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this link with anyone you think will also find value and benefit here. Also, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. So thanks so much for tuning in and keep growing out there, everyone. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for general public and general information purposes. This content is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and an investor should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after a thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors, including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an SEC registered investment advisor that maintains its principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's filed or qualifies for corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Star's registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC Investment Advisor. Advisory Public Disclosure website at advisorinfo.sec.gov.